In this week's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about the disaster that was the fourth quarter against the Golden State Warriors, the continued play of Shake Milton and how he fits on his team once Embiid, Simmons, and Richardson come back, and how the playoff rotation might eventually look. And with that out of the way, enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Uh, real quick, if you can, head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat and get 40% off of a yearly subscription to The Athletic. You can read all of us. You can read the whole national staff, all of the local city staffs, uh, Shil Kapadia, Bo Wolf, Matt Gelb, a whole bunch of Charlie O'Connor, who is really plugging away at a really good, really great story of a Flyers team. A lot of really good stuff. What's and, it like to cover a good well. story? <laughs> or at least a positive story. It feels like, when was the last time there's been like real positive vibes about this team where there were no qualifications for it? Like, do you have to go back to like January 2017? Yeah, I mean. Maybe the Miami series. Yeah, I think everybody was feeling good and then. You know, right before that Miami series, there was that huge winning streak. Yeah, so so maybe the Miami series. I feel like once the uh, once the Boston series happened and you knew changes were coming, and ever since then there's just been a anxiety over what they could do. It's been it's been tough. Anyway, how you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. I'm uh, not completely focused on basketball right now. I got to say. Seems like there's something else going on in the news that's kind of important, but uh, you know, we'll we'll talk a little hoops here to hopefully take your mind off it. We'll mostly talk about hoops because I am not too qualified to talk about uh, coronavirus or how you should be responding to it. The uh, the one thing let, let's just talk about it real quick for a couple minutes though. It seems like we're going to be watching some games in some empty arenas. Don't you yeah, think? well, look, it certainly seems like they are at least preparing for the possibility. I mean, it's been reported that they're preparing for the possibility of it. Now, will that actually come to be? I don't know. It, look, I'm just a layman. I don't really know much about anything, including basketball, as a lot of people in the comments section and on Twitter will tell you. But it does seem like putting 20,000 people shoulder to shoulder for two and a half hours might not be the best way to approach this. Uh, now, whether or not the NBA will determine that they need to shut that down. I don't know. But yeah, it does seem like that is at least in threat. Yeah, it seems like a possibility. And when I say uh, we're going to watch some games in some empty arenas, I don't even know if we're going to be able to. But uh, it certainly seems like it's on the table. And, you know, obviously this is affecting everybody in the world. Hope everybody's staying safe and, and taking all of the, the precautions and not touching their face. Like, I didn't realize how much I do on a, on a frequent basis. I think when when it got taken away, I finally learned that. But uh, it certainly seems like professional sports could be something that's more affected than other regular businesses, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it, it, when it like I said, whenever you put 20,000 people shoulder to shoulder for a long time. Doesn't seem like the best idea. No. But okay. Uh, let's, let's move on to the games that have been played, including the ones that were played in front of fans. Not fans at the Wells Fargo Center because the Sixers were on a road trip and things always get dicey when that happens, but fans nonetheless. 
So I would say, and I mean, we, we did say we did a, a podcast after the first three games of that four game road trip when the Sixers were maybe the most optimistic one and two <laughs> they've had in quite some time. But they had respectable showings against the two LA teams and then beat a Sacramento team that had won six of seven, including six straight at their home floor. And then the Warriors game happened. And to be honest, like for the first three and a half quarters, it went mostly according to script. You know, I guess I would say that, especially with the way the Sixers were playing offensively and with who the Warriors didn't have. And when we recorded the last podcast, we thought Steph Curry would be in the lineup. Nope. But the Sixers, they led almost that whole game until the end, but they never led really convincingly. They were up five points, eight points. I don't remember what the high watermark was, but it couldn't have been much more than 10. Like they never really put Golden State away. And a lot of times, I mean, we saw that for years with the the process teams. If you let them believe for long enough, crazy shit can happen. They'd they'd lose most times, but crazy shit could happen. They would. They would. Um, But that fourth quarter, Rich, it really sapped all of the good vibes from that road trip. It took what should have been, look, and if they would have gone two and two, it's not like they, you're not going to throw a parade for that. I would have. I would have. <laughs> Look, if there wasn't a coronavirus threat, I would have definitely thrown. No, a parade parades for would that. not be good either. Parades would not be good either. No. But man, did that last like nine minutes really just sting. And it stung because it was, I mean, look, that team, there were multiple people on that Golden State team I had to Google before the game started. And I like to think I have a decent bit of knowledge about the NBA. And maybe I don't scout college as much as I used to when I wrote for Draft Express, but like I had to look up who Juan Toscano Anderson was. I'm not going to lie. Mulder? It felt like I was watching the X-Files. Yes. I was, yes. Um, and look, they played pretty well, especially Mulder. He had a, he had a good game. He can shoot the basketball and, it, and they needed that. But man, watching, watching these guys, I mean, Jordan Poole just took Furkan off the dribble over and over and over again. And it was really tough to see. And the Sixers had sort of gotten away with their wretched defense for three and a half games. Two against LA because you had no expectations. So, okay, they're getting beat by Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and Anthony Davis. We expected that. When things go according to plan, you don't freak out. But when you start watching Damian Lee just terrorize the Sixers, and look, <laughs> Drexel's own Damian Damian Lee. It's not like we have all that many to root for, but when you're watching him terrorize the Sixers, it really does. Like it, it sunk in just, whoa, this team has no chance to compete defensively. So yeah, it it was just, it was, it was, it was crushing. It was more crushing than a loss should be in, in, in March. When you're down your two best players, but that's what the circumstances were. And I think, I think you had the right tweet. It would have been hard to disappoint given who they were missing, but they found a way. They found a way. Found a way. It's, uh, it's impressive how they found a way. The Warriors also, their other top scorer in that game, we, we don't have too many from Fordham, but and Eric Paschal didn't finish there, but they certainly couldn't guard him. And at the end of that game, they needed to put Al Horford, their only center who can even reasonably play NBA-level center defense. Yeah, it was... Just a bad performance, and like you said, uh, you, I mean, you, you were there when that game starts. The lack of juice in that building. Oh my god! 
It was awful. I was I was making it like I was every tweet I, I had that night up until it got serious was here's some random fact Sixers up ninety to eighty two or whatever. <laughs> it, it it was just so hard to like. I had that tweet too. I, I just said Kevin Hart called Al Horford AH and I thought it was funny. Right. Sixers right. Like, up four or something. <laughs> like at one point I was giving coronavirus recommendations and reminding people to spring forward because it was the day before. Like it was, there was no juice for that because it was one of those games. Like I expect how good teams felt whenever they played the process Sixers. Like you can't take anything away from it because that team is so bad. And then all of a sudden you look up and they're losing. And it was, it was really, I mean, look, it was. It was the same script as we, we've seen from this team, though, even in the Sacramento game, where for a lot of that game, now I know Sacramento was more of a game of runs. This one felt a little more even throughout the game, but they were just trading baskets with them. And, and look, the offense was was good. Another good Shake Milton game where yep, seemed like he was you know not forcing anything and making all the right plays. I looked this up. I don't have the specific numbers in front of me, but over the five-game stretch, which includes the Knicks game before the trip, I think it was a 120 offensive rating on NBA.com. Yep. First in the league. Pretty good. That's pretty good. And then a (laughs) 120-something defensive rating. Pretty bad. That's last. And they just they didn't have the personnel. Brett didn't even bother trying to play Norvell Pell or Kylo Quinn. Which, of all the decisions Brett made, and we can get into some of them, because some of them I didn't agree with at all. Riding Furkan the way he did early in the fourth quarter, when Furkan was off pretty much the entire trip, um, I mean, Furkan got beat really, really badly. Whether that was just ISO, whether that was coming around a screen, he had no no shot defensively. And it's it's tough, because on the other hand, like Matisse has been playing sneakily, not even really sneakily, but I feel like a lot of people calling for him don't realize how poorly he's playing right now. Not only is he doing nothing offensively, but he he doesn't seem to be making the same kind of impact defensively, and he's at a position without making those sort of impact plays. Yeah, so he's I, not playing. I, I agree well. with that. The calls for him to play because he would have saved their defense. No. I don't think that's fair considering how he played. A lot of on offense too, by the way, and, and I'll let you keep going. A lot of pump faking and driving into traffic. Yeah, no, he's he's been real bad. Um, I curse you. Know, and, and look, there's still I, I still have a, a hell of a lot of optimism around Matisse Thibel, but he is he has not been playing his his best brand of basketball right now. So they didn't really have all that many options. I would have, you know, I think he should have had a quicker hook for Furkan in the fourth. Maybe bring uh, Shake back a little bit earlier. I think he should have had a quicker hook on, and and this is probably the one that annoyed me a little more. Like I understood going back to Mike Scott, uh, especially. You know, he was he was playing in the, the final stretch. He was playing on the four next to Al Horford. When they started attacking him in the pick and roll, I thought Brett should have had a quicker hook and gotten him out right away because they were attacking him pretty much every time down as well and, and forcing it. And the six just kept going back and back and back to that drop coverage. And, and Mike Scott's six seven. He can't really cover that ground. So I think they made a lot of mistakes, but I mean, they, they suck you, too. Like they're, yeah. they're, they're just as as individual defenders, they sucked. And it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was tough to watch. You know, I think Brett even called him out. He said, basically we're making a lot of KYP errors where they're, they're going over where they don't need to be going over and they're not making their rotation. It was just, it was a real tough game to watch. And all of their bad tendencies over that four game stretch, just it, it caught up to them. Wasn't great. I think, uh, 
it is funny now that 29 minutes for Shake Milton, I agree with you, it's not enough. You need to play him a little more. It yep. was a, uh, I mean, it was a bummer because they really did play over their talent level for those first three games, but that's a game that you got to win. I'm sorry. That team was bad that they played against and they just, they just didn't guard. And it was a lot of, you know, Mike Scott and drop coverage against Mark. You know, I don't think Marquise Chris is anything great, but he can jump a little bit. And if you run a pick and roll and, you know, you go, you're going at Mike Scott, I think it's going to be pretty ugly. And I got to say, I just rewatching that, you know, Brett talked about the KYP errors and all of those things. Wasn't in love with the defensive game plan. Would have liked them to see, would have liked to, uh, to see them try something differently. He also mentioned at the Sixers press conference today, <laughs> not a scrum press conference where, uh, you know, he was standing as six feet away from us. He mentioned that it's different than when you play that drop coverage and you're funneling people towards Joel and it's instead it's Mike Scott, like no shit. And, <laughs> right. uh, you know, I, I just think I look, there's a lot of, problems with like i would say just switch but i think we talked about this a little bit earlier today and you point out well yeah if you switch man mike scott is gonna get killed off the dribble i just wish they would have tried something a little different they didn't force any turnovers i I know you know golden state shot it pretty well from the mid-range but it just it felt like there was a lack of imagination there and uh yeah i don't know yeah i mean it, it It is tough because if you switch, A, you have to be able to keep your man in front of you, and B, if not, you need to have somebody protecting the rim, and Horford hasn't really been doing that all that well. You know, I do wonder if maybe Embiid was in there if they would have applied a little more pressure on the perimeter with Scott, but it really, I would have just yanked him, gotten somebody else in there. It was... Who? I I mean, that's that's always a follow-up that I never have a great answer for. It's sort of the follow-up to... um, End of the Furkan Matisse debate. Uh, I'd have to go back and, and so who was in there? It was Shake, Mike Scott, Al Horford, Tobias, Tobias, and who was the fifth one? Was it Glenn? It was either Glenn or, or Burks. Burks. It was one uh, of those two. The other think, one. So wh- maybe wh- maybe wh- maybe play both of those guys. Then. I don't know. It was it was it was it was a bad game. It was a bad game. And, and the final play call, like dipping back into that well, it, it seemed like a minor miracle when the shot went in the first time for Furk off that play. <laughs> So going dipping back into that one was probably not going to work. His feet are too damn big for that sideline. Too, too damn big. Yep. Your, your tweet from a what maybe an hour before then was uh, perfect. They do need to work on that. He, I get it. It's a small space in those corners. I get it. His feet are gigantic in the interesting colored sneakers that he generally wears. But he's got to be more aware of that. He's. He's made that mistake too many times this year, and it doesn't always happen at the end of games. And I think, you know, a lot of times it, it'll get highlighted when they try and run a play at the end of the game. But I mean, I I'm sick of watching him in the second quarter pump fake, and his first step is back. Yeah, <laughs> and he's got a in that uh in that bottom left corner at the uh, Wells Fargo Center. I feel like he does that all the time. But you know. But like uh like we've been saying that was that was definitely a tough way to end what was a feel good road trip cuz they should have won that game. All right, let's take one quick second to tell you about our sponsor Roman. If you were to guess on average how many days people in the US have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week maybe? 
Actually, on average, people have to wait 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com Sixers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com Sixers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. And now back to the show. All right, so let's... We have a couple of, of pretty big names coming back. I think Joel Embiid is, was he questionable? He is currently listed as questionable. Josh Richardson. And Josh was not was listed at all. Going to play, even though he did say he was still having headaches. He mentioned that. I, I listened back to that audio. Not great. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, obviously, I, I think like sometimes that gets disseminated on Twitter. And if you add in the comment about his headaches... And then the way he was describing what it's like to have a concussion and what they make you do, which is basically sit in a dark room and do nothing. Sounds awful. I have never had a concussion in my life, so I I do not know that. But, uh, yeah, he did make a little comment. He was like, I am, you know, I've been scrimmaging the last couple days and I feel better, but there have been some headaches and I hope those end. And it's like, all right, well, I, I hope you don't have headaches. I hope. That uh, that you're cleared to go because you're feeling better, but I don't know. Yeah, I uh, I had one concussion, but this was so so far back in the day that they'd be like, "Oh, you got your bell rung." <laughs> your bell rung, and that yeah, is such it, a classic old. Is it a football it, thing? Is that what yeah, it was? It was, a, it was a football thing, and you you went home and you slept it off, and you came back the next day. And I say that knowing full well that was completely ignorant, and I'm 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 lucky it only. Only happened once because the ramifications. I mean, it's very well, not very well known, but it's, it's, we know so much more about that now that I would be terrified if it happened to me now. Um, so it's, yeah, it's one of those things you really have to take seriously. That's a concussion uncle thing, the, the bell rung where they, uh, it's, it's absolutely mind, like just thinking back about how that was dealt with back then, it's mind blowing. Um, I remember even when I was playing football. And you were dehydrated. It was like, it was like a even, you know. I, I would say like normal coaches and stuff like that. It would be like, all right, sit down, you know, drink some water, and then get back out there or something <laughs> like that. It's just yeah, the way the way that sports used to be handled, you know. And we're neither of us are that old. You're you're actually kind of ancient, but besides, <laughs> you know, you weren't playing with the Junction Boys by any means. No. But uh. Yeah, I mean, some of the the ways we used to do stuff was pretty crazy. But I would but, I would truthfully not play football now. But that's a completely different podcast. No, yeah, and the other thing too is we've talked about a lot of injuries on this podcast over the past few years, probably more than we wanted to. Concussions is not something we deal with all no. that much. No, it's not. But 
Regardless, Josh is scheduled to come back. Embiid is scheduled to come back. The two of them will almost completely transform this defense into from a laughing stock into probably very good, if not best in the league level, which is just ridiculous to say. But when you combine Embiid coming back, Richardson coming back, and playing at the Wells Fargo Center, I expect them to be very good against the Pistons on Wednesday night. Also, they're playing the Pistons. Also, they're playing the Pistons. So when we start looking at what we're going to expect, you know, Brett came out and he said, Shake will still be the starting point guard. Not that there was really any doubt there. But now we start getting back into something. And I don't know who's going to start. Like, I, I assume Joe's going to start because when Joe plays, he starts. Josh, they've brought him back slowly before. But this isn't like a hamstring where you sort of have to ease your way back in. Maybe there's some cardio concerns from missing time. But assuming they both start, you know, it seems like it's going to be Shake, Josh, Embiid, Tobias, and then who do you think is going to be the fifth? It's a good question. Maybe Glenn? Back to uh, Glenn Robinson in third. It is interesting. You know, this is, is basically the debate. Well, not really because of Shake and, and, and Ben. But it's sort of the debate we had a few weeks ago when they moved Horford out of the lineup. And it came down to, at first, they went with Furkan, then they went with Glenn. Now, it seems like Brett lately has preferred to bring Furkan off the bench as that bomber off the bench, that instant offense guy who hasn't really been giving you all that much offense lately off the bench. So it does seem like Glenn is is the most likely solution there. I mean, unless it's Matisse. Burks or Matisse, yeah. But he hasn't played that well recently. I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to think. I don't even... I mean, at this point, con- considering considering A, Glenn Robinson has sort of complained about his role, and B, he's played pretty well lately. It seems like you would want to reward that good play. Yeah, which which goes to show that all he needed to do was know his role. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at this Pistons team. Yeah, I mean, they're, I don't think Derrick Rose even played in their last game. So, yeah, I don't think like there's any sort of guard here. Where you'd say we need Matisse out there to uh, to give us the best chance. So yeah, I, w- I would assume Glenn, just considering all of those things happening. But I think it was notable that Brett said we're going to explore Horford and Bead until Ben comes back, which yep. kind of confirms what we've talked about. It's like it's it's almost like he admitted, yeah, it's we don't necessarily agree that it's an Embiid Horford problem. They think maybe it's an Embiid Horford Simmons problem, which and it, it it may end up being an Embiid. Like I don't, I'm not convinced it's not an Embiid Horford problem. Yeah, but we had so little. Like pretty much any time Embiid and Horford were on the court together, Simmons was on there as well. There was never any real time where where those two were together where it wasn't with the starting five or whatever was left of the starting five. So yeah, I think this is a, a chance where they're going to try that out and see whether or not they can get Embiid and Horford playing well together. So that probably is your starting five. It is probably going to be Shake and Josh, Tobias, Horford, and Embiid. Who knows? They could try to sprinkle in a couple of minutes here and there with those two together. But it seems like based on on Brett's comments that that is a uh, a pretty good chance. And do I think it makes sense? Maybe. Like maybe it does make some sense to see if that was an Embiid Horford problem. You know, Horford had a couple of of nice games to end that road trip. He did offensively after that that. Less great game against the Lakers. I didn't think he was terrible in the Golden State game either. 
No, like I don't, he, he wasn't he was talking defensively. Yeah, just just overall, he wasn't dominant. Like he wasn't. Um, you know, I think like if he played against, or if if Golden State played against the Lakers team that was shorthanded, but they still had LeBron, like he's going to carry them to a victory. But I mean, Horford, twenty-two, ten, and seven. Like obviously, he wasn't completely dominating the game, but I mean, two two pretty good back-to-back performances, I'd say. Yeah. I think that the main thing for him is you don't want him to be bad, actively bad, like he was against right. the Lakers. And he was pretty far from that, even if he wasn't necessarily dominant. All right, Rich, hang on right there, and let's hear from one quick word from DraftKings. All week, we're going to be hearing about when and you're in, which means it's conference tournament time. Who's going to be representing your favorite conference in March Mania? We'll know by Sunday. But what I know right now is DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, can get you in on all the college hoops action. As the madness begins, DraftKings Sportsbook has great promos and odds boosts happening all week. DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code TOSS. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, enter code TOSS and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only in partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler. And now back to the show. So it'll be real interesting to, see, to me to see how Shake handles his changing role. You know, obviously Shake is the storyline of the road trip. He is really intriguing because I mean, we we, we talk about this all the time. Players who just take something off the table. And my God, if you want an example of that, go back and watch the fourth quarter of that Golden State game. Because that's what everybody, every every decision Brett had to make, it's like, okay, well, what are you willing to die by? Like, do you want Mike Scott at the five and go all offense and 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 suffer through that defensively? Do you want Furkan out in the court and try to get shooting and one guy who can get hot? Do you want Matisse on the court and play four on five offensively? Like, there was so many... A lot of stuff being Howell taken off Neto, the table. Who, Frankly, Neto played two of his better games here, but still he's a six foot one guard who was being picked on defensively. Like, what are you willing to die by? And it seemed like every answer Brett had, especially in the fourth quarter, was the wrong one, which I, I say that, and it's tough to find the best of the bad options. And it seems like that's what this team is looking to do a lot, especially with those three guys out. But what's interesting interesting to me about Shake is he can sort of be a plug and play guard. Like he has the skills to play off ball in a catch and shoot kind of role, attack closeout role, second side kind of stuff. He has the skills to play a little bit on ball. And we saw some real nifty bounce passes. I think it was in the Kings win and, and a, a willingness to run the offense and, you know, a sort of a calm demeanor to take what's there. He can hold his own defensively and use that seven foot wingspan to his advantage. And on a team where everyone takes something off the table, he has a skill set where he, he doesn't. And that's interesting because he's going to start off playing some point guard. And then when Ben Simmons comes back, he's going to play probably in a starting role off guard and then shift to a backup point guard in game. And to have that kind of versatility and not then be a liability defensively. If Shake is who he showed he was in this road trip, 
that would be a real big find here late in the season. How do you think he meshes with Embiid? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we sort of touched on this a little bit last time. Um, that, that's the key to me. That's It should if, be pretty good. If you're should, asking me should what... should theoretically be good. Yeah. yeah, if you're asking me what primarily I want to see from this team over the... Uh, you know, the next couple of weeks, at least probably until we get a Ben update. Um, but that's the main thing I want to see. Obviously, you'd like to see wins and good offense and good defense. But among the um, the two players, I want to see if Shake can get Joel some easier looks than he's more accustomed to and uh, see if Joel can kind of fit into this happy ball movement system they play with. But yeah, I think it should be good. The other thing that... Um, you know, just anecdotally watching these games that I think should help. Shake is plenty willing to shoot some deep ass threes. Yes. Yep. And uh, once he gets on a scouting report with that, uh, you know, with that level of range being respected, and I think people are going to respect it because, you know, he hasn't missed a shot in like three weeks. So that's, <laughs> I mean, that's obviously an exaggeration. He cooled off a little bit, but not not a ton. Um, he shot like. 57% from three on the road trips. So I think you know, he did okay. He did okay. Um, I'm sticking, but my, my point is, if you're posting up Joe on the left block, I am sticking Shake in that Reddick role where he is the closest guy. And if somebody doubles, they're going to have to double off Shake at least initially. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm real interested to see. I mean, that is, if, if, if he, and look, we can obsess over the Warriors loss and their inability to defend, that's probably not going to matter too much when they get these three guys back. If Shake ends up being legitimate, that is a huge deal over what you had, you know, two months ago. And, you know, I am very measured in sort of setting expectations. But Shake has blown through them at every chance. He's raised the bar for sure. Yeah, he, he really has. And... You know, this is going to be a now an adjustment for him over what he's done here over these last couple games. If and when Ben Simmons comes back, that will be yet another adjustment for him, and we'll see what kind of productivity he can carry on through that. But it is, I mean, that would be a real good development. That would be a real good development. Um, Love to see him run some pick and rolls with Ben if Ben does come back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you had that. Yeah, and that's something you've been searching for for a while now, a player who can run that pick and roll with Ben, also be an off-ball threat, and also be a, a capable defender. The Sixers really haven't had that, so that would be a good addition too. All right, let's... Remember but remember when they started running those pick and rolls with Jay Rich and, and Ben? I think it was... Yep. Might have been that Houston game right after New Year's. Yep. I think yep. it might have been yep. their fourth loss in a row at that point, but they played a little bit better, and that was certainly an exciting game by Ben. But remember afterwards, you were just like, yeah, why don't you just go under? Yeah, and, yeah. You can't do I, that with Shake. Yep. You with the way Shake is playing right now, you legitimately can't do that. That is that's gonna be good offense every time. And he certainly seems confident enough to do it. That's uh yeah, it's it's crazy how excited I am to watch Shake Milton play basketball right now. But he's it's like you said, man, he's I mean he's the most exciting part of the team right now. Yeah. It, it's like you said though, like he's blown through expectations at every chance possible and I'm I was plenty skeptical of him I still am a little bit I feel like the music might stop to an extent at some point but I'm willing to say that you know the, the odds look to be like I was a little bit wrong about him at least he seems to have a higher floor than I even thought 
Yeah, I mean, look, if if you're going to ask me, am I penciling him in as a third Paul option Samer? on an NBA title team? Like, no, pump the brakes a little bit on that one. But do I think he's a, a legit rotation player? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident in that one right now. And that is a, I mean, that, uh, that's a huge win for a 54th pick in the draft that's in his second year. And, and for a team that needs some pretty big wins. And, and look, we can get on them for all we want for some of the asset management and some of the contract management and all that stuff. Hitting on... Landry Shamit and Matisse Thibel and Shake Milton, like those are those are pretty big deals for a team that is capped out and and not flush with assets. So that is certainly a part of the last few years that I think you have to give them credit for. All right, let's take one final break. This time to hear from the Black Tux. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suitor tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tuck shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code SIXERS. That's blacktux.com code SIXERS for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. And now back to the show. Are, are we doing the rotation now or are we, we waiting for that? Now let's go ahead. Like, So let's, let's set, first of all, let's start off in the, with an assumption. And that is that Ben Simmons is back in time for the playoffs. And that's not, that's just an assumption we are setting. I'm not reporting anything. So you, you have your, your starting five, which let's right now assume is Simmons, Shake, Richardson, Tobias, and Embiid. Horford will be your, obviously one of your next guys off the bench. How do you see it sort of breaking down after that? I thought it was interesting. I think it was a couple weeks ago. Or maybe right before they left the for the road trip, Brett was asked what's the number he's looking for in a playoff rotation, and he was pretty dead set on saying that number is nine. I think in practice that doesn't always happen. You know, when when shit hits the fan and Toronto is throwing haymakers at you, you need the players that um that you trust, which is hilarious because the two main bench guys that they trust trusted one is playing in Orlando and the other one is Mike Scott. Um, so yeah, then, then it turns into three spots and I think there's probably four guys who are, are vying for those spots. I would say that Ferky probably has an inside track on a roll just because I think that shooting skill set, like I think he's somebody who they could give a quick hook to, but just because of that off ball shooting skill set and, the idea that he can just get hot once in a while. He's going to get a shot. I would pencil him in there. I think I would pencil Alec Burks in there as well. And it's funny because I mentioned those two first. And I can say that they're 
is absolutely a scenario where both of those guys play and Brett yanks those guys right away yes. because they just don't have it and they're not helping you. And then that would leave Glenn and Matisse. So, you know, it's funny as I'm thinking about this. Is there a chance Matisse isn't in the playoff rotation? Sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, look, he's he's a rookie who is right now playing like a rookie. And if, this, if they go into the playoffs with him pl- struggling like this, really on both sides of the court, then, like, it doesn't mean that they don't have faith in him. It's just these are the playoffs. Like, we need to be able to <laughs> trust you right now. This isn't this isn't about player development at that stage. Like player development, you don't play people in in May for player development. You play them because you think they're going to help you win. And I hope Matisse is in that rotation. Like when he's playing well and he is uh, giving you something that nobody else on the team does, and you can sort of pair him with Ben on the perimeter and have something entirely unique. Like he's one of the only people on that bench who gives you something really unique and and could be special at least at something but you need to be able to trust him and right now like i said i hope that he gets to a point where they, that that they trust him but i can't guarantee it and and then i didn't even mention mike scott who we've been bagging on all year i don't think he's a great option for the playoffs but if he shoots the ball like he did on the west coast i mean it's certainly more effective than some of these these other guys and you know you know his defense is Pretty bothersome. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not great. But I, I think he deserves to be mentioned, I guess, in, in that spot as well. But yeah, I, I was trying to think with Matisse. Has there ever been in these first couple of years, because Landry got traded, has there ever been a rookie role player? Like Ben obviously was on the court for his rookie year in the playoffs, but it's not like you're going to sit Ben Simmons. Has there ever been a rookie in a secondary role where we've been wondering – is Brett going to trust this player? Or is it the right option? I guess Markel, right? That first year. Oh God, he played I in some that existed. He played in some playoff games, and then he eventually ceded to uh, to TJ, who almost swung a playoff series himself. But uh, it, it's, yeah, it's it's a little bit unprecedented though, because you know Markel. There was obviously the pressure to play him because. He was the number one overall pick, but I don't think there's been anybody in the uh, the tournament level that has been a rookie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. Like you said, it, you have some guys who are just, you either have so much invested in them or their, their talent is so high that they demand playing in the, at that level. Um, the 20th pick in the draft is not usually usually that. You're not going to get Matisse, killed for, for not playing the 20th pick in the draft. No. It really is interesting, though, because I, first of all, I think one of the real takeaways to shake stepping up like this is that you don't have to, like one of those uncomfortable decisions that you would have had to make was the backup point guard spot. And look, in the playoffs, that might just be eight to ten minutes. But like you would have had to make a decision on who to play in those eight to ten minutes. Would it have been Josh Richardson? Like I think we speculated before the season, but then he came out and, and struggled in that role. Or would you have had to go to um, Howell Neto? And, and suffer with his defense? Or would, would he have turned to Alec Burks, who he, I don't think, really trusts to run the offense? And if Shake is legitimate, and right now I certainly think he's legitimate, at least in the backup point guard role. Totally. You don't have to make that decision. And that's I think a great that's point. a real good... That's a huge deal. It's a, it's a pretty big deal. And you also don't have to make that decision on the, the, the backup centers. Because, I mean, as we saw in that West Coast road trip, 
Brett at the beginning of the trip would go to a traditional center, get frustrated, and then throw Mike Scott in there and say, F it, we're not going to stop anyone, but at least we'll space the floor. And having to make that termination in the playoffs would have been just absolutely wretched. Like, we saw Mike Scott at five for a couple minutes in the playoffs last year. It did not go well. No. Uh, He is not going to stop Kawhi Leonard at the rim. So having Al Horford, as much as we have, and look, look, you can't pay $109 to a backup center that can't fit with your best player. They can. They did. Well, they can and they did. But you hope that Horford is more than this. But the fact that you have that backup center spot filled is a, you know, it gives you a little bit of peace of mind for sure. So the, these these questions that we have now, and I agree with you, it's going to come down to, you know, basically three of uh, Scott, Robinson III, Burks, Theibel, and Korkmaz. Um, I think Burks and Robinson are pretty safe bets just because I do think Brett's going to lean on their experience a little bit. They have more perimeter what skills. What was that? What experience? Experience losing? Well, look, it's it's something. <laughs> I mean, I guess look, Burks was on the Jazz for a minute, but he was, man, I mean, he, and he he had a he had some hopes set for him earlier in his career. Yeah, and then I think it's going to come down to one of Corkmaz or Thibel, and 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 I think Cork, I think you're right. I think Corkmaz has the upper leg there. It might be matchup dependent, where maybe um, someone is going off for the opponent, and you bring in. Thibel then to try to slow him down or maybe Thibel just gets hot and starts making shots and becomes a little easier to play and have his defense on the court. I think it could be a case by case basis, but uh, I, th- I think it's good for every coach basically says I'm going to err on the side of defense. And that's from CYO basketball to through high school all the way to the NBA. I think with this Sixers team though, if Embiid is playing, I am erring on the side of offense yep. and look quirks. Cork's defense really sucked in that Golden State game, and it's it's certainly problematic. But hopefully, you get a matchup where he could just do that hard hedge and recover, and it'll be okay. It's a it's a good point you make though, because yeah, in past years, you know, it was like who are they playing at backup point guard? Who are they playing at backup center? On the bookends, especially if Shake is legit here, they seem pretty set. So there are a lot of different options for for Brett to use. And, I mean, we know what the playoffs are like. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So I think there's a chance that you'll see all of those guys run in and out at different points, you know, and, and trying to find the right options. But the, the good news with that is they won't have to break their general structure to do so. I mean, look, they started Greg Monroe. So, yeah, you're right. Anything can be up in the air when uh, when we get to playoff basketball. Speaking of Monroe, the, uh, the Pell layup against the Kings. <laughs> It's the worst one Very I've seen Monroe-esque. since the Monroe yeah. against yeah. The, the Raptors, which put it in the Smithsonian, as I always say. <laughs> yes, you do. All right. I think that's probably a pretty good place to cut off. We don't have a whole lot of basketball coming up. They play, what, Wednesday, and the next one is Saturday, I want to say. Um, I could be making that up. Yep. No, Saturday. Saturday against Indy. The battle for the fifth seed. Yes. Yes. Big game. A lot coming up here at the Wells Fargo Center. Only three of their next, what, I want to say like 10, maybe even more than that, yeah. are on I think the it's road. 11. So, you'll well, I mean, you may be seeing a lot of basketball here in person, but thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man. A lot of pickup games at the, at the Wells Fargo Center.